If you would, if you'd turn with me to Colossians 2. First five verses here in Colossians chapter 2. And as I've shared with you previously, I'm an Olympics junkie. I watched the 48-kilogram ladies powerlifting yesterday. I mean, that's how bad it is. You know, there's a 100-pound lady lifting, you know, 230 pounds over her head. I'm like, yes! So I love the Olympics. I, I love the spirit of it. I love what it represents because it's the whole world coming together and putting away their political garbage for about two and a half weeks to just simply compete on the field of athletics and and to take pride in, in the countries that they've originated from and come from. But the thing that blesses me the most is watching the athletes respect and love and care for and greet each other uh, it, it's just this incredible spectacular for, for just a short period of time where the whole world literally comes together and instead of fighting against each other in a military sense or in a geopolitical sense, they simply compete on the field of athletics in a very wonderful spectacle that we call the Olympics. Those Olympics originated in Greece. And as we turn our attention to verse 1 here in chapter 2, we're going to pick out one simple word here. It comes to us in verse 1. It is actually translated in the New King James to a couple of words, but it's really a single Greek word. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And the Apostle Paul here uses, in a noun sense, the word agnon. And it was literally the place where people gathered together for the Olympics to struggle and wrestle and run. And so they gathered together. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to know the great agony with which I work to see this incredible unity of love that we should have in the body of Christ. And so would you join me and let's pray and ask God to speak through these first five verses to us. Father, we again are so grateful for your rich and good gifts to us. Lord, as a church, as a people, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we ask now that as we study your word, Lord, as we read these verses, would they uh, speak into our hearts and minds the truth that you intended. And so God bless us with the reading and the hearing and the knowing of what you want us to know this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 through 5. For I want you to know what a great conflict, what an Olympic kind of struggle I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be encouraged and knit together in love. Love is the binding agent of the body of Christ. Love is the one thing that links us one to another. It is that agape that we have received because of the grace of God that's come into our lives. It's not love like the world gives us. It is God's love. It's his unmerited favor poured out upon us. And as recipients of that agape, that love that God has for us, we then become bearers of that same love. 
We, we become ones who then share that same love with the world around us, and especially with each other. We are bound together, unified, if you will, in God's love. Paul struggled for that. He engaged in Olympic training for the love that he wanted to see the body of Christ have, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Both of the Father and of Christ. Remember that God's plans originated with God the Father, carried out through Christ the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God in three persons, working in our lives to present us faultless before the throne of grace. Amen? As the body of Christ, that's who we are. That's what we are. The church should be the most loving place on the face of the planet. People should flock here to receive what they do not get from the world. People should come to church and know that the thing that binds us together, this great unity of love, this incredible struggle that we have, Because it's a struggle to love at times. You have to work at it. Amen? Don't know if you have any unloving people in your life. I do. I can loan you some if you need them. (laughs) But love does not come easy at times. It's a struggle. You have to work at it. It's like any other endeavor in life. You need to apply yourself. And in this case, the apostle uses this great conflict as a way for us to understand exactly how much effort we should put into being bound together in love. Can you imagine if the church struggled as an Olympic athlete struggles to be great at their sport? I was listening to an interview with Michael Phelps. You know, I, I can't wait to see him swim. I hope he gets another medal. He'll take, he already has the all-time lead in medals, but can you imagine being in four different Olympic games? How, you know, you've already won the most golds in a single game. There's not a lot left to, to do. And yet you go through the training, you're in the pool and you're swimming. And, and you, you just have to at some point in time go, man, when do you just stop giving forth the effort necessary to compete at that level? That's the picture for us in competing for the love of God in our church and in our world. We should never give up. We should never stop working out in love. That full assurance and understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh... Yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And so he says he's like a coach. He's whipping up the team a little bit here. he's, He's reminding them of who they are and how they got there and what they are to do to stay there. Because you see, we're saved by grace and through faith, but the maturity that we're supposed to have does not just happen to you. You need to engage in the process of becoming more Christ-like and being more loving because by nature, we're selfish, amen? 
We don't, dra- we don't gravitate towards being kind and gentle. We don't gravitate naturally in our flesh towards those things which we would call, as Paul called, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Amen? The fruit of someone being saved, the fruit of the Spirit, God in you is love. And from that love extends joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all these things that the apostle would say there in Galatians 5. Those things are so unlike the world that they are literally against the law. They're against the things that the world would hold dear. And so Paul says, look, there's a struggle that we have to be unified in love. We need to go through a training routine. You can, you can apply almost endlessly this picture. You see, the church at Laodicea, for whom he is concerned, we also know, because the book of Revelation tells us so, they're in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, they were the lukewarm church. They were the church that lost that love. They were the church that started focusing in on other things. And in fact, we know what they focused on, which is exactly what our world is focused on right now, which is self. They said, look, we're rich. We have need of nothing. That describes humanism, selfishness. And Jesus said about them, look, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out because you lack the one thing that the world is supposed to be able to look at. You see, we may not all be the sharpest tools in the shed. We may not be able to communicate the same things the same way. But there is one thing we should all have, and that is the love of God. And that is the thing that Paul said constrains us. That's the thing that holds us together and binds us. You see, we're supposed to have that kind of unity. In other words, they should be able to tell what team we play for by seeing the game plan active in us. I I, I watched poor China yesterday play our U.S. men's basketball team. It wasn't actually a game, but they were all on the court at the same time. And I love the sportsmanship. You know, you could just kind of see the frustration. I think they ended up winning by 57 or something. You know, it's just, it was just not right. But as you're watching the camaraderie of the team, even though they're losing, you can see that I'm getting to play basketball with Carmelo Anthony. You know, and they're like, I think they didn't even actually care so much that they were getting beat as they got to compete. Can I tell you, that's a great place for us to be in the body of Christ. We don't have to win all the time. We need to be in the game and on the team, on the floor, in love. Bound together in love. United, Paul says here, knit together in verse 2. And you can look at it like the fabric of the life of the church is to be love. When you knit something together, when you take a few strands and you start aligning them in a grid fashion, you know, if you press it really hard, you make nice Egyptian cotton, right? Or or you can make some burlap, but it's fabric. It's something that's knit together. And what is supposed to knit us together is love. The fabric of the church is supposed to be love. So that when someone sees us, we are this tapestry 
multicolored, multi-ethnic, multi-gifts of the love of God put into one place so the world can see it as a display of the fabric of the unity of God. That's who we're supposed to be. And if we would just train hard to be that, you know, you kind of can't be a rebellious strand. Well, I'm not going in the fabric. You're woven in. You're woven in by grace through faith. You, you don't get a choice. You are either in him or not in him. And if you're in him, then you're in the blanket. And to that end, he begins to encourage this unity of love. He says there in verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together. You see two basic truths here. They're wonderful. You have encouragement, that's inner strength. And you have unity, that's outer strength. One is singular, the other is the group. It's a perfect picture of who we are in Christ because you are, as a believer, an individual member of the body of Christ. But you're also a member of the body of Christ. You're an arm, a leg, a toe, a toenail, a nose. You know, you, whoever you are, you're, you're part of what God is doing in this world. But we send a unified message, and that fabric, that message, is God loves the world. That is exactly, by the way, why Jesus said, by this one thing, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Amen? Do you understand why? Because it's unconscionable for people who have received so much love from God to be unloving. To be unkind, to not be generous, to have no care or concern for other people. And so he says, look, this binding agent, this encouragement is to be knit together in a like heart and a like mind. And and in that, you become this rich storehouse of God's blessings, exactly as Isaiah 33 reminds us. You see, here's what happens. When we do God's things God's way, we present Christ to the world. What the world needs is Jesus. The world doesn't need more programs and plans. It doesn't need more armies. It doesn't need more government. In heaven's name, no more government. We have enough. We don't need more of that. The world needs the love of Christ. Binding men together so that our cares and concerns are so deep as to be the very concerns that God has for that person. Can you imagine if our world actually was affected by the church that way? Can you imagine if every person you saw, you saw as yourself in need of God's grace? Every person you talked to was a place for you to extend the hand of God's love, his care, his concern, the unity that he has within himself in the Father, the Son. And the, Can you imagine the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit arguing all day long? Jesus and Father God, I'm not doing that, sorry. This whole cross thing, way too far, not going to do it. No, for this reason Jesus came to the earth. So unified, Father God, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, so unified where they are a whole. They're one God in three persons. That's woven together. That's complete and total unity. 
And so what ultimately happens is we then present Christ the way he's supposed to be presented. Christ is not divided. He's not, you know, one group versus another group. We are all God's children. And so that love then becomes the thing that defines us, family. And we start loving on each other instead of merely trying to point out the differences and the reasons that we're not the same. It is tragic when the church does that. And, and do we need to speak the truth? Of course we do. Do I as a pastor have an obligation to point out false teaching? Yes, I do. I have to. It's part of my job description. You can read it there in 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, Titus. Thessalonians. I, I, I have to do that. But how we implement that information, how we take that information and sit down with someone who does not know the truth, you see, you'll see a different person when you see Pastor Jeff. When I'm here in the pulpit teaching the truth to mostly believers, I need to arm you and I need to make sure that you have all the knowledge that I can possibly convey about the truth of God's Word. But what you do with it is the fabric of God, which is love. And how you sit down with that person that comes to your door and says, Hi, I'm from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. I hope that you don't go, you cult-leading fool. <laughs> I, I hope that you ask him a question, Whom do you say that Jesus is? You see, to know the truth is one thing, to use the truth is yet another. We speak the truth in love. Paul begins this incredible four E's, as I call them, of sainthood. And they're very simple. You can jot them down or you can download the slide later. You can take a picture of it if you want to. But Paul gives us some encouragements, and they come in the form of understanding what it looks like to train on God's Olympic team. There are four key points about the training schedule and, and what we should be doing with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Paul, as he would write to the church at Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians 8, in verse 1, it says this, and now concerning the things offered to idols, you see, we should never offer anything to an idol. That's a truth. And I, as a pastor, need to tell you, look, if you're worshiping at the, the altar of secular humanism, that's an idol. But once you know that, you need to be careful what you do with that truth. Notice what he says. For we know that we all have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, I can tell you what I know, and that's that I don't know everything. If you think you know everything or anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You see, it's good to have knowledge. It's better to have love. It's good. It's even necessary to have a level of knowledge. But we must put forth that knowledge and love. You've probably all met people who are so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good, right? 
You ever talk to that, you know, the, I call them spiritual snobs. They're so far above everybody else that whatever they have, it's mine. And they hoard up the truth of God for themselves. And, and every once in a while, they might dispense a little bit of it to the peons that are beneath them. To the pawns of the spiritual world. Oh, brothers and sisters, our job as believers, as the body of Christ, is to lovingly give away absolutely everything we have. Everything. Whatever you have, every gift, every talent, every bit of your time, your talent, your treasure, none of it actually belongs to you. You are a steward of it, and you're supposed to freely give it to those who have need. That's what love does. Love looks at the world through the eyes of Christ. And so he gives us these four things. First is encouragement, that their hearts might be encouraged. Look, talk it up. You're on the bench, you're with the team, talk it up, encourage them. People need encouragement. They don't need to be more depressed. They don't need to be, in Jesus' name, don't use the gift of discouragement if you have it. You must be an encourager of the body of Christ. Talk it up while you're on the bench. A second thing, endearment. It is so awesome, and this is especially true in team sports. You need to be a team player, a teammate. You're endeared to that team. That team can't do without you. And so he says to them, being knit together in love, you want, and when you listen to, to people who have played any sport together or been on the same team, there is a bond that occurs that's unbreakable, it's unshakable. The same thing happens in the military. The same thing happens very often even in the workplace. You're knit together, you're part of a team, you need someone else being who they are so you can be the very best you that you can be. Endear yourself. To other people through love. Enrich the whole group. Under the riches, the full assurance and understanding. You see, too many Christians are, are living like paupers when they're actually rich. And we as mature Christians need to enrich other people's lives. We need to pass along the true riches of the grace that we've received. So many people spend all their time complaining about what they don't have that they, don't, they aren't thankful for what they do have. We need to help people be thankful and encourage them. Look at the plan and, and, and work hard towards that end. And then finally, the fourth E here, which is, which is really enlightenment. It says the full assurance of our understanding. Look, you have to study the game plan. That's your Bible. You pull out the game plan, and it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. In the Olympics, I mean, even fencing. You, you watch people, and they're like, you know, you, you're wondering why they're doing all these little flips of the end of their foil. And it's like they're actually doing something when they do that. It looks like to you like they've had too much coffee, right? But they're actually, they're preparing this final, you know, and, all that, and they strike, and it's like, how did they do that? It's because they had a plan going in. This is how I'm going to respond. If this person puts forward this type of an attack, this is how I will respond. The same is true in track and field, especially the running events. There, there is a method to the madness, amen? For us, 
There is a method to all things that we do, and we get that from the Word of God. We are enriched in the full understanding. We're the best that we can be. Ability to assess things as they are. To look at those things with wisdom and knowledge. You see, we want to be the best that we can be. The results of our team rest on us as individuals very often, do they not? You see, one person can in fact spoil the plans of God, even though everyone else is doing the things that they're supposed to do. I've had this happen to me in the mission field. I've had the privilege of taking spiritual grumpy people with me. And you know, you get there and it's all about, well, the hotel isn't quite what I thought it would be. Did you know there's bugs in our salad? Well, yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere. You know, and you're sitting there and it's just like they complain and whine and it's all about them. And you're sharing Christ and the people you're sharing with is like, why did you bring, this This is not Jesus. Don't know who this is, but this is not Jesus. We have to be, we need to be the very best that we ourselves can personally be. That means to have understanding, put everything together in its place. It means to have wisdom, that's the ability to use knowledge correctly or rightly. And we need to have knowledge, that's that raw understanding that all of us should have a grasp of the truth. That all comes from studying the Word. And then having other people exercise those four E's with you. We need to do this in a a way that it gets home. As you think on these things, the Lord has been so gracious to work with each one of us. We need to be gracious to work with one another. We need to be caring and kind and concerned about, for, and with each other. We need to draw people in, not push them away. And if we'll do that, then we stretch forward to to loving maturity and unity. We, we work in other people's lives in such a way as to produce more mature believers, not people who are affected in a negative way by my own insufficiencies. We want to pass along the love that we've received. That's why he says, and now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. There's other things for people to believe, but they are going to believe what they see in us. Will they see a fabric of love, a unity of love, a bond of love? Will they see our team spirit in that sense? They should see that. I was watching some of the ladies on the U.S. Olympic team. They they posted a YouTube video. Uh, They were killing time in an airport. And they used the conveyors, you know, that you, you can kind of speed walk on in the airports. And they were using those conveyors to to reenact all kinds of Olympic events. And they would sit on it and they would do rowing. And and then they did another thing where they had somebody actually riding a bicycle, which was really two or three people on on, on that same moving belt. But they were laughing and joyful. And you, you could just see they were just having a blast being on the U.S. Olympic team. They weren't competing. They weren't doing it. Can you imagine what people thought? Man, it must be awesome to be a member of the U.S. Olympic team. 
Can you imagine if people saw us as the church the same way, having joy and love and peace, and it being so attractive that people are going, I don't know what team. Oh, they're on that team. They're on Jesus' team. And what Jesus has produced in them is so attractive is to draw men unto Jesus. Amen? You see, that's what we're supposed to do. It's that same unity, except our unity is way deeper than sports competition. And and presenting ourselves as athletes for a nation, we are presenting ourselves as, as absolutely sold out to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? It's a much higher calling to mature. Ecclesiastes 4, and I would just share this as we close says this beginning in verse 9, For two are better than one. Are not thousands better than two? Think of the size and the magnitude and the scope of this church. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of us. And if we were all on the same game plan, putting forth a unified message that Christ came to this world and died so that men might be set free and that He loves mankind with an undying... Can you imagine, can you imagine our team parading into the stadium? Saying, here we are. We're the team of love. We love you. We want you to know God. For they have a better reward for their labor. And if one falls, his companion will lift him up. But woe unto him who falls alone. For there's no one to help him. But again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can one be warm alone? You can't. Especially in that day and time. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. For a threefold cord is not quickly broken and I want you to notice something very very precise this is the word of God speaking into your life the whole set of verses there is speaking of two and all of a sudden it transitions to three who do you suppose that third cord is it's the Lord Jesus and his love if two are good us with him is even better amen that's who we're supposed to be, unified in love. Would you stand and let's pray together. Father God, that is our prayer. And Lord, we simply ask that you would, in this, your house, make us the bearers of love. God, would you cause us to love people, Lord, without reservation, without hesitation, so wonderfully and completely it would be as if your hands and your voice and your heart would reach out to mankind through this world, through us. Lord, we thank you that you first loved us, that you've given yourself for us. And because of that, we can give ourselves away. We're all part of that fabric. Help us to be threads that are tightly woven in love. We pray that you would wrap that third cord around each of us 
where two or more are gathered, Lord, in this great congregation. Lord, you are the one that holds us together through your great love for your church. Help us to love as you have loved. It's in the amazing, the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. All God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen.